This um, next podcast of Jewish History Soundbites, which is part of the Malava Malka series, is uh, has been anonymous, anonymously sponsored as a schus for the Refuah Shalema of David Henech Mordechai ben Freyda Simcha, who should have a Refuah Shalema. One of the major parts of uh, almost all Poland tours that I do, which is by far the the um, the uh, large majority or the large most dominant country that's visited of all the other countries of Europe, which which uh, I do tours in. Um, Poland seems to be the most popular, and a large part of the Poland tour is the different branches and aspects of Polish Hasidus, of pre-war Polish Hasidus. And it comes up on every tour in many different ways. And we stop in Lublin and Lezhensk. Lublin by the Chayza on one hand, and and then by Reb Tzadik, Hakoyen of Lublin, and Reb Label Eger, his Rebbe, on the other hand. Whether it's in Ger, near Warsaw, or in Warsaw itself, in Sachatshov, in Izhbitz, in Pshischa, Kotsk, the whole area of northern Poland, of Polish Hasidus, sometimes we get out to Radomsk, Koznitz is on the way usually. Of course, the southern Poland, which is the Galicia Hasidim, becomes always a major part of the tour as well. But um, the Galicia Hasidim, of course, of Tzans, of Dinov, of Rimenov, another story entirely. But um, but Polish Hasidus, which in the pre-war era was the dominant, was the major center of Hasidus in the Jewish people, is always a major part of the tour to trace where do all these branches come from and how did so many of them come out from the house of Pshischa? And what did Pshischa mean that it gave birth to so many diverse branches of, uh, of Hasidus? So today... I'm here, Yehudi Geberer, with Jewish History Soundbites, another podcast of Jewish history, to just briefly touch on one of the many, many branches of of Polish Hasidus, one that definitely uh, comes up as a part of the visit and very often on trips, that of Izhbitz, which later became Radzin on one hand, and Lublin Hasidus on the other hand. And... Um, of course, it's only a brief touching upon them, and especially when we mention a Hasidus like Izhbitz, it's a very well-covered Hasidus in many different uh, forms and books and speeches and lectures and shiurim today. However, almost all of them, and correctly so, focus on the Taira, the worldview, the Hasidus, the Avoida, the philosophy of the Ishbitzer of the Meishi Loyach and his students, Reb Tzaddik, of others who came from that branch. And not only am I absolutely unqualified to uh, do so, to discuss the Torah, the Hasidus, the Aveda, but not only that, there's also many more people out there who are very qualified to do so. So there's no reason for me to uh, encroach on that, uh, on that um, area. So therefore, what, what, I, what I would do over here is to just briefly go over the background, give it some context, and so that the, the, um, 
their Torah of Ishbitz doesn't remain um, something abstract, but rather it's concrete. But rather it's concrete. It belongs in a certain time and place where it was created, and a little bit of the background, a little bit of the stories and the personalities of the people who created this dynasty, which gave birth to that whole philosophy. And then this will give us a little more excitement in the whole Ishbit story. So the Ishbitzer, the one who starts off the, the entire dynasty, is Rabbi Mordechai Yosef Liner, um, later known as the Meishi Layach, although he himself didn't write the Sefer. And he studies Hasidus by Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Pshischa. So Ishbitz is definitely one of the Pshischa branches. He goes, stays in Pshischa for nine years, with almost not going home at all. Uh, for a few weeks each year, he is completely dedicated to his Rebbe, Reb Simcha Bonim of Pshischa. And Reb Simcha Bonim actually gave him the nickname, which eventually his, um, his Sefer came to be named. Um, Reb Simcha Bonim said that the, the Ramad Yosef is, is like the Meishi Loyach, he's like the waters of the Shiloyach. It drips slowly in, but it bores a hole that's so deep and so powerful that it holds uh, all, all, everything inside. And that's the, the depth of Pshischa, which came to be a defining characteristic of the Ishbitzer's Torah, um, was this depth, was this incredible, um, deep conception of many different ideas in Hasidus. When Ibsim Chabunim passes away in 1827, the Ishbitzer chooses to follow um, his close friend, and later Rebbe, and eventually there's a break in that uh, relationship, that of Rabbi Nachum Mendel Morgenstern, the Kotzker. First they had to Tomashov, then to Kotzk. And the Ishbitzer is instrumental in actually making him the head of the Pshischa Hasidim, at least the large majority of Pshischa Hasidim, following the passing of Ibsim Chabunim. And um, he breaks with Kotzk. There's many different versions of why and how it happened, and I believe this is not the uh, the framework for to, to go into that because it's really not only is it a story about Kutsk, but it's also a story in itself. It probably is even a series in itself. We would go on to tell the story of Kutsk. I think we would need a 27 part series at least, and I would have to get special permission from the production team uh, to be able to go through ahead with that. So we'll leave that aside for now, but he breaks off with cuts, and I actually suffice to, I'm justified in not getting involved with it at this point, because the Ishbitzer's main student, his primary student, Reb Label Eger, who founded the Lublin Hasidus and brought Ishbitz to, um, to Lublin, and later on Reb Tzadik of Lublin, um, he, he said, Anyone who talks about the Ishbitzer's break with the Kutz, with Kutsk is mistaken. I'm the only one who knows. That's what Reb Label Eger was wont to say. So, you know, take it or leave it. But that's he he broke with Kutz. It, it wasn't a clean break. It wasn't didn't didn't go well. But um, they broke off. Um, he moves on eventually to Ishbitz, and Ishbitz as a town was a very very famous and Jewish town. Had big. Uh, rabbis throughout its history is a very, very Jewish town. Very few Polish towns could claim what it has to claim for it, its Jewishness. There was about uh, 4,000 Jews in the town of Ishbitz by the, by the outbreak of the war. And they, throughout its, almost its entire history, it was almost exclusively Jewish. It was over 95% Jewish, so much so 
that even in an intensely Catholic country like Poland, Izbitz remained one of the only towns in the entire Poland that did not have a church. It was like a certain purity, a certain Jewishness to the town. And the Izbitzer's Tyra was very unique. His, his uh, descendants and students claimed that the Izbitzer had the true and pure Tyra of the Baal Shem Tev. The true Hasidus was by the Izbitzer um, bordering on, on certain ideas which came to be controversial. And I don't think there's any... Um, very few uh, Hasidus in that, that as many um, has been written to try to explain the Torah of the Ishbitzer, some of which was controversial, pantheism, ideas about Bechira and Chait, and a very unique type of Torah that the Ishbitzer had and taught to literally thousands of Hasidim. He, when he broke off of Kutsk, so it became a massive Hasidus, it became one of the leading and largest Hasiduses, in Poland, most of Kutsk actually broke off with him when he left and um, and followed him. He, When he had been in Kutsk, he had been the head of the Hasidim. The Kutsker and him were extremely close. And the Kutsker, as he closed himself more and more off from society and from his Hasidim and remained more and more alone, the, the Ishbitzer, Ramot Yosef, was actually the one in charge of the Hasidim. He ran the base measures. He was in charge of the yeshiva along with the other prime Talmud of the Kutzker, the Chidushe Harim. And, um, and he was the one who had the relationship with the Hasidim, and the, the Hasidim connected to him. They felt the Kutzker was too distant, and the Kutzker himself uh, created that distance. Um, and therefore, when Ramat Yosef uh, came the time to leave, um, and, he, and he, t- he took along most of the Hasidim with him. They were the ones who he knew, who knew him and, uh, and loved him, and he, he went together with him. Interestingly enough, the irony is, is that as, as much as whatever version we choose of, of why he left Kutsk, but he left in 1839 and he dies in, in 1854, 15 years later, but still before the Kutsker passes away. The Kutsker passes away only five years later in 1859. In other words, if the if Yosef had not left Kutsk, and he had stayed in Kutsk till the end of his life, we would never have Ishbitz. And that's one of the great Hashgacha uh, practices of history, is that for whatever reason that had had to happen, the break had to happen because we would have been lost without Ishbitz. And that whole branch of Ishbitz wouldn't have happened because he died before the Kutsker. So he would never have had his own Chatzar if he had waited for his Rebbe to pass on. So that's a very interesting um, angle in the Ishbitz's story. His primary Talmud, Reb Label Eger, um, becomes the next Rebbe of, of um, Ishbitz. Again, there's a division between uh, the son, Reb Yaakov, the son of the Matri Yosef Liner, Reb Yaakov Liner, and he has some of the Hasidim, and he eventually moves to Radzin, so Ishbitz becomes Radzin. And many of the Hasidim go with the Talmud of, of the Ishbitz, or not the son, which uh, still happens occasionally in those days. It's already rare at that point in the Hasidus. In the early times of Hasidus, it was quite common. But eventually, the Hasidic movement shifted over from meritocracy to dynasty, which is a story in itself. And, um, and, um, and uh, Inishbis was pretty much the last place where they had a form of meritocracy with Reb Label Eger and then eventually Reb Tzaddik. It went to Talmidim, not only to children. So Rebbe Blager is a Meyuchis. You know, his father was Rebbe Shloyme Eger. His grandfather was Rebbe Kiva Eger. 
And he also got a rich shidduch, uh, which brought him to Lublin, his misnagdik uh, shidduch. You know, he grows up in a misnagdik anti-Hasidic household, and his shver is also um, a misnagid. Um, but he's wealthy, so he moves to Lublin, which has a very strong Hasidic atmosphere. It's not that long after the Chayz of Lublin had passed away. So he joins the Hasidus, uh, eventually um, finds uh, Kutsk. He had some sort of exposure to Hasidus while he was living in Lublin by his father-in-law, which his father-in-law was not happy about. He had an even earlier exposure to Hasidus when he was growing up in Warsaw by his father, Abshloyme Eger, uh, we have to understand the Chedushia Rim. We know him as the first Gerarebbe. We know him as a leader of Polish Hasidus. We know him as a close Talmud of Pshischa and Kask. The Chedushia Rim was the biggest Talmud Chacham in Poland. He had a yeshiva in Warsaw. He was known in his younger years as the Varshava Ilui. He was the genius of Warsaw. He was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. And he, he, the Rebbe Eger studying as a young budding Talmud Chacham in in Warsaw, went to the Chidush Yerim's Yeshiva, who was the top learning, and, and he got exposed to Hasidus there. His father wasn't happy about it, so he took him out of the Chidush Yerim's Yeshiva, but he had prior exposure to Hasidus when he finally shows up in Kutsk years later. Um, he, his reception in Kutsk wasn't that warm. In Kutsk, they made everyone work on the, themselves bottom-up, and someone came in as a great meyuchis and as wealthy that did not sit well in Kutsk, so they treated him accordingly. He, you know, they had knocked off his hat, and they, 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 they bothered him a little bit about it. They used to make fun of him. They called him Leibelez Shloimez Akivas, and, you know, deliberately without the Harav Hagoyin in front to teach him a little bit that he's nothing special just because he comes from great Rabbanim, and in Kutsk you have to work your way up by your own merits and your own Avaida, which is also related to the story of Kutsk and how the, the, uh, the, the history of Kutsk, the development of Kutsk, which again, of course, is not only for another time, but it's actually a series for another time. He had a complicated relationship with the Kutsker. Um, he follows the Ishbitzer when he leaves Kutsk, but he always somewhat remained the Talmud of Kutsk. He wanted to go back to Kutsk after the Ishbitzer died, ironically, um, but they didn't let him. See Hirsch of Tomashov, the famous... Uh, Mishamish of the Kutskers said, no, 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 no. Only if you renounce your whole connection with Ishbitz, you could come back to Kutsk, otherwise you're not welcome back. So he, he never said Tyra in the Kutsker's lifetime. Even after his Rebbe, the Ishbitzer, died, he said the Rebbe, the Kutsker, is still alive. He's not saying Tyra until after the Kutsker passes on. And then he founds the Hasidus in Lublin. And ironically, it's a big Hasidus in Lublin, in a big city like Lublin, and it's for a long time. He's the Rebbe for over 30 years. And he's still not incredibly famous, which is a little bit of a strange uh, side of that. Um, he became famous for his, his pshischa and ishbit style davening. He would daven very late and very long davening, which was not characteristic of pshischa or kutsk. He had a very long, drawn-out davening, but it was very, very late in the day. And he was also a mile, and he would do the mila very late in the day, like ben hashmash's time. And uh, it was because he was doing his preparations, his achonis, which took hours and hours and hours. And there was opposition to using him as a moil. And his close Talmud and friend, Reb Tzadik, went to his defense, among other people. Other people wrote for his defense. And Reb Tzadik has a beautiful letter that I read recently that, um, that he says 
just the opposite. Um, uh, you should use him as a mile because he has such long hachanas. And he explains that Zerizah Magdim and Lamitzvah does not mean to do it early in the morning. It means to do it as best as you could and be preparing for it and getting ready for it as early as possible and in the best ideal way possible. That's what to be a Zariz means, to, to, to do it um, in the most Zariz possible way, to do it in the most with alacrity, with, with, with an excitement. And um, he starts preparing very, very early in the morning. So he's doing it Zrizis. He's starting early, just he's not ready with all his preparations until later. Ironically, Reb with all his Hasidus and all the opposition from his family and from his previous background uh, against Hasidus, and they were not very excited that he had joined Hasidus, he was still offered the rabbinate of Posen when his father, Reb Shleimager, died. That's how much he was respected, even though um, he had become a full-fledged Hasid and was a Rebbe, that was almost a Rebbe at this point. Um, his children continue the Hasidus. His son, Reb Ramager, and his daughter, Rebetzin Nechama Kela actually was married to the Majetzer Rebbe. They, uh, that marriage did not work out, even though the Majetzer Rebbe still today are descendants of that marriage, but they got divorced. And he, she then eventually, this Nechama Kela marries an Amshanover Rebbe's uh, son. And this daughter, Rebetzin Nechama Kela, who was married both to Majetzer and to Amshanov, she was a big Rebetzin in Polish Hasidus, and she's a daughter of a Baram Eger of Lublin Hasidus. She's buried in the Warsaw Cemetery. I always bring groups there because that section of the Warsaw Jewish Cemetery, I call it, I nicknamed it the Rebetzin section. She's buried right next to Rebetzin Malka Shapiro, or Mary Shapiro's wife. And then you have this Rebetzin Ocham Akeil. There's a granddaughter of the Chidush Arim there. And um, most importantly, the Piatsetzner Rebetzin is buried right near there. And there's no grave of the Piatsetzner Rebbe because he was killed by the Nazis. So at least you have the Piatsetzner Rebetzin. Um, a Maskilim newspaper, um, Hamelitz, the most popular and the most widespread read newspaper, not just by Maskilim, by all the firm Jews as well. It was the most popular newspaper in, uh, in Eastern Europe at the time. And they were not great lovers of Hasidim, but yet they wrote in Hamelitz about how Rebleib never took any money for himself, Rebleibel Eger. So that was his integrity was recognized by all. His close Talmud, Reb Tzaddik, takes over the Hasidus. He comes also from a Litvish misnagdic background. He's called the Kriniker Ilui, the Ilui of Krinik. He grew up by his uncle, who was the Rav in Krinik, and his father had died young. He, he gets married. He's, again, he's an Ilui, he's a Talmud Chacham, and there's a scandal. His wife was helping her father in the store, and there was a rumor that his Rebzadik's wife um, had shaken the hand of one of the Polish aristocrats. And Reb Tzadik, who was Reb Tzadik HaKoyen, he was nervous about his kahuna and what she did and what happened, what was their relationship. So when these rumors started spreading around, he decided he's going to divorce her. And she refused to take the get because she claimed innocence. So he decided he's going to go get a heter meir rabbanim to be able to allow himself to remarry, which was, of course, uh, a rare occurrence. So he goes and starts to search for Rabbanim who is, are going to sign his Heter Meir Rabbanim. So this brings him across the length and breadth of Eastern Europe. And again, this gives him the exposure to Hasidus and eventually converts him to uh, Hasidus when he falls in love with Ishbitz and he comes to Ramatchi Yosef line of the Ishbitzer for Shabbos. Interesting, there's some myths and legends attached to this travels of, uh, of his, his search for the Heter Meir Rabbanim. 
Um, there's a myth uh, that he went to Ravitzikal Chonon, Spectre, the Kavler Rav, who was the Godel Adar. The problem is, is that Ravitzikal Chonon was only six years older than um, Reb Tzaddik, and this happened when he was quite young. Ravitzikal Chonon already was a Rav, he was a Rav from the age of 20, but he definitely was not a famous Rav, and definitely not the Godel Adar, so it's unlikely that he would have gone to him. An even better legend I saw is that one of the sources I read said that on his travels to get the Heter Meir Rabbanim, Reb Tzaddik came to Ramatul Chernobyler, Ramatul of Chernobyl, the Chernobyler Magid, um, who was the father of the of the great, not the, not the original, the Nachum Chernobyler started the dynasty, but Ramatul Chernobyler's eight sons continued the Chernobyler branches across the Ukraine. Very famous big Tzaddik Rebbe, and he said to him that you insult, that you're not doing the right thing by getting this Heter Meir, and you therefore won't have children. Now, as it happens, Reb Tzaddik did not have children, and he attributed it to his mistake in looking for this Heter Meir Rabbanim. So he did not have children with his second wife. That was his own uh, assumption. However, he most definitely did not go to Reb Matul Chernobyler, as Reb Matul Chernobyler died in 1837 before the story happened. Um, so he did not go to someone who was already dead. Not only that, to make things worse for the people who created this legend, but the way that... Um, Reb Tzaddik comes to Hasidus is by meeting Ramatri Yosef Liner in Ishbitz, the Ishbitzer. Now he only moves to Ishbitz after he leaves Kutsk, which happened in 1839. So, and if Reb Matot died in 1837, so, you know, okay, some legends die hard, but um, you don't have to make up great rabbis that he met along the way because he actually met some of the greatest Rabbanim of his generation in his quest for the Hetermei Rabbanim, Reb Shleim Kluger. Rebbeis of Shalnatanzon, the Shalomesh of the Chidush Arim of Ger, uh, the Devrechaim of Tzans. Later on, when Reb Tzadik was the was a was um, was a in Lublin by his Rebbe Reb Leibel Eger, his Rebbe and friend. So when the Chidush Arim died, Reb Leibel Eger said, "Reb Tzadik is now the Sar Hatoira." He refused the Lublin Rabbonus at one point. He was a tremendous Oyehi Veretz Yisrael. Um, bordering on even uh, Zionist aspirations. He writes in many places how, uh, how we have to go back to Israel en masse and, and, and with strength to fight our way in. Very interesting uh, ideas. He even wanted to settle in Israel at some point, but was unable to do so. Um, he was a tremendous uh, genius. He wrote on everything, everything under the sun, on Hasidus, on Halacha, on Shas, Kabbalah, on philosophy, science, algebra, engineering. He was also a bit of a historian, which is another reason to like, like him. He wrote on history as well. He was one of the only Polish Rebbes who was into Breslov, into the writings of Reb Nachman of Breslov, and he very much uh, connected to that. He was very scholarly, very quiet, didn't eat much, didn't sleep much, didn't talk much at all. He only became the Rebbe later on when Reb Leibel Eger died, and he had no choice in 1888 till 1900. He was mostly a scholar. He built up a tremendous library, um, wrote a tremendous amount, more than almost any other rabbi. And that's on one side of the Hasidus. I just want to end off, even though I'm extended normally beyond the regular time, but it's Maitzi Shabbos, and I'm sure that um, we can take an extra two minutes to hear Hasidus. So on the, that's all the students of the Ishbitzer, first Reb Leibla Eger, then Reb Tzaddik, and of course Reb Leibla Eger's family. As mentioned, Reb Tzaddik himself did not have any descendants, but there is a continuation in the Ishbitzer's family itself. First Reb Yaakov Liner, 
the son of the Ishbitzer, who was much softer than him as a personality, interestingly enough, died in, in, in Lithuania, in Lita, where he's buried. He died in, in the resort town of Druzkenik, next to Vilna, and he's buried in a town right nearby. And his son was a very interesting character, Gershon Henech Liner, probably the most, one of the most fascinating Rebbes in the history of Hasidus, always stirring up controversy, a, a brilliant genius, uh, someone who was unique, who was creative, who was innovative. He knew loads of languages and sciences, and he, was, he had a curiosity for knowledge. He wrote tremendously deep Hasidus. He's the one who wrote the Meishi Loyach and named it the Meishi Loyach. Um, he knew medicine, and the local pharmacies in Radzin would accept his prescriptions. He would write prescriptions for medicine, and the pharmacies accepted his prescriptions. He wrote a safer on Mishnayis Tyrus as if it was a Gemara, which caused tremendous controversy. People uh, were not light, they were not happy about that, making it as if he's uh, the new Gemara on, on Seder Tyrus, because the Tzuras Hadaf that he wrote, his Mishnayis Tyrus with his Pirish, looked like a Tzuras Hadaf of the Shas. Um, he also stirred up controversy with Esraigim from Eretz Yisrael, as opposed to Esraigim from the island of Corfu. Rebetzikachana was involved in that dispute with David Karlina. There was a lot of rabbis at that time, interestingly. Bleibel Eger also was involved in that dispute. He, his, by far, the thing that most stirred up the most controversy was his idea of bringing back the Tcheles. Uh, he, he was in Italy, and he learned different languages. He read up the science of chemistry and all, all related sciences to Tcheles, and he decided to bring it back. He felt that the cuttlefish um, was the correct Tcheles, and he um, the, figured out how to extract the dye from it. Um, that stirred up definitely a lot of controversy. He also, interestingly enough, and I, I, someone could correct me if, if, if they know of any other uh, anyone else in this regard, but as far as I was able to discover, and I've researched quite a few Hasidic Rebbes in the history of Hasidus, he was the only Rebbe that I know of that carried a gun, a handgun. He would carry it around. I don't know if he carried it on him in a holster. Some versions say he carried it in a suitcase with him. Some versions say differently. And there's all kinds of versions to explain why he carried a weapon. Um, very interesting uh, story. He recognized that he stirred up controversy. And he said very wisely, because I'm an I do new things, that's why I'm Baal Milchamais. So that's a little bit about the background of this very interesting Ishbitz Radzin Lubliner Hasidus. This was Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com um, for questions, comments, and sources, and of course, tour, tours to see the great places and hear about these people. Um, you can follow Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Don't miss an episode, and you can follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.